0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Kat Zoe, the creator at Design Ethically. And today, we're going to be talking about ethical design and ethical research. So apropos on brands, excited to jump in. Hot topic, important topic. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. So nice to meet you two virtually.
0: Yeah, still the dominant way, I suppose, these days, but we're getting getting yeah. more in real life timing. <laughs> I've that's got Jage here too.
2: Yeah, this is a cool topic. feels like a big one. My silly brain goes to like Billy Madison when they're like business ethics. Ethics. Design <laughs> yes. ethics. Yeah. What's that um, guy?
0: Bradley, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whitford, whatever. Bradley Whitford. Yeah, yeah, that's a
2: good one. Ex- but yeah, I'm excited to unpack it. I, I think we haven't come at it from this angle before, so I think it'll be a fun conversation.
0: Yeah, and on that note, right? So what are we talking about <laughs> when we talk about ethical design? Because we could talk about a lot of things, and I think we will you know, talk about several things, but... What do you think about, what are you you thinking about every day in your work when you think about ethical design?
1: It is such a loaded term and it covers a lot. And I think it covers everything from, you know, designing genuinely helpful and empowering accessible products for people. It also means designing products that do not harm, manipulate or deceive folks. It means everything from like designing things that don't exacerbate systemic inequalities too, because we all exist in this system that has a lot of unfair power differentials going on. And I think it also means that when we're looking at the practices that we're employing to design and research, right, that we're doing these things with utmost consideration and respect for people, especially, you know, marginalized communities. Um, It also means designing that in teams that are inclusive and safe, you know, where you feel included and safe, no matter, you know, what your background is. And you're designing on a team that is actually willing to advocate for doing the right thing over the bottom line, which is oftentimes a lot harder. you know, then it might seem. And yeah, I think that I mean, fundamentally, like when we talk about research, too, because this is, you know, your bread and butter, like, doing it in a way that's not exploitative, um, and is something is it's a way that genuinely honors the people that you're researching, and is respectful.
2: Do you have um, any thoughts on like, because I think we try to get this into a spot that's like pretty actionable, or, you know, practical advice for people. If I'm listening to this, I'm a researcher, designer, product manager, and I'm like, we should be more ethical now we do our design work at where I'm at. Like, where do you even start? Is like, you should just read about this stuff. Do you just start like in your research being more inclusive and who you talk to? Like, what's like a good, like foot in the doorway to start, you know, being a little bit more ethical in your approach to design.
1: Oh yeah. So I love that you mentioned reading. I think that is such a fantastic way to learn more about the world. You know, there's so much amazing scholarship. That's not necessarily like design or research scholarship, but rather, Uh, literature that falls under you know critical race theory or disability studies or gender studies right and there's so much amazing work that's been done in those realms where you get to learn about the world from a very different angle maybe from your own and that is such an eye-opening thing I think for a lot of folks that are in in our you know industry to to read with that to engage with that difficult uh those difficult topics and to understand like when we're designing in in a traditional tech company right it's not necessarily representative of the world but often it design you know we're designing for a lot of people all around the world so being mindful of those things and and just getting you know expanding your horizons in that regard and learning more about how your product can actually impact people from all over is really important and i think beyond that like as you're doing your research and stuff just being being mindful of like you know, when you're meeting people and talking to them, whether it's virtually or in, in real life, how do you kind of approach these interactions as a researcher or designer? And how do you have that respect? I think that's a word that I always go back to is just mm. that respect. I think we do interact with so many different kinds of people from all walks of life.
2: Do you have any favorite resources while we're talking about books and all that sort of stuff that you would like oh, recommend or give to people?
1: I have a whole list. Uh, So on designethically.com, there's a, under the toolkit section, there's a a list of books and they're from all different scholars. I love the works that like Ruha Benjamin has written, you know, Race After Technology. There's also Cedric Robinson, who's done a lot of amazing work on like the intersections between, you know, racial inequality and also socioeconomic inequality. Mm -hmm. And then there's Algorithms of Oppression, which is written by Dr. Safia Noble, really fascinating stuff that makes you, you know, really consider the industry that we're in and and the workings of it, and how we might be able to improve it.
0: Hmm. That's great. And we'll we'll link that and link some of those resources in the write up as well. I want to ask maybe, maybe a dumb question, but you talked about you know just treating people with respect, which is sounds like a really basic thing. But I guess like what do you mean by that? Right? Like you in research you hear about you know, empathy, right? It's like been over, maybe talked so much empathy that now there's the blowback to the blowback to empathy. And, mm-hmm. you know, can you ever really be empathetic and whatever, but I like this idea of respect, right? That seems like something that we could try to achieve. So what do you think about when you think about trying to treat people with respect?
1: Yeah, I think one thing is to, to kind of think about where you stand in society as a you know designer coming from perhaps like a, an agency or a big company, right? And who you're designing for and who you might be researching. A lot of times, I think it's very easy for designers um, or anyone in like a tech company to, especially if they're expanding out into like an emerging market or something, a so-called emerging market, to think that, oh, you know, we're going to come in and we're going to fix a problem. We're going to fix this thing that people are not doing right or people are struggling with and perhaps they're not struggling with that, but like we, we pinpoint this you know thing that we think they could be doing better. They can be living more productively, whatever that means. They can be doing things faster. And like we come in and we think we're going to help them. And it has this uh, kind of patronizing attitude, I think, where we come in and we're like, we're going to help these people because we know better. And of course we'll do our research, but we know better is that's like the underlying kind of mentality that isn't necessarily stated but I think it's very much implied by the way that we work right and I think that's something that we have to be mindful of and that's where the respect comes in is just like how do we honor these other ways of of existing of being these other epistemologies and not come in being like this very like savior complexy kind of persona and so that's something that I think ties into a lot of the work that we see on decolonizing design and decolonizing research of just realizing that there's all these nuances, right? And like, you know, you coming into a, a place and, and doing research for the supposed benefit of the people that you're working with, like, you have to sometimes question that and like really think about is this benefiting them or is this benefiting my paycheck mm. or our our bottom mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. and what are we telling ourselves and how are we approaching them? And so that's kind of what I'm referring to when I say respect. Yeah, Nice. I I love that
2: kind of framing. The way you talked about there, like the bottom line and the business part, it feels like maybe when you're doing this kind of stuff and this work in a business context, it almost becomes harder to be respectful or, or to treat people the way you maybe would in a different context. Do you have any thoughts on like how you balance those things of, you know, I have this business goal or this objective that I'm responsible for? but I also want to be human and, and respect this person. And sometimes those things can maybe feel a little in conflict. I'm wondering if uh, there's ways to avoid that.
1: Yeah, it's really hard. And I think we, we've traditionally talked about it as like a kind of a balancing thing. And sometimes I think there's just, there's no way to balance. I know Naomi Klein, who's the author of, she's written a lot about like climate, the climate crisis. She makes a point in her book, I, the title eludes me. I think it, like this must change or something. We'll fact check that later, but she makes a point, which is that like, sometimes like, for example, for the environmental crisis, there is no way to reconcile like the business model that we have in this capitalist system with, you know, the needs for the earth to heal and to to replenish itself. And I think in some ways that can be the case in tech, right? Like we cannot design products that are addicting and there's no way to like make a business case i mean you can make a business case for it but there's no way to justify that and and strike a balance like you're either designing addictive stuff or you're not and so i think in that case like what can we do we can do what we can right we can start small we can work larger just as long as you're doing something as opposed to nothing and so like what i tell people is just to Find find an ally or an accomplice in the company and talk to them. Maybe you might be surprised that people might have the same, you know, feeling that you do about something that could be problematic. Um, speak up in your product team. Like when you have the chance to to talk in these meetings, speak up in town halls. Right, that's a great way to to kind of communicate if something's not right. And then to also just abandon the urge to accept. Oh, but it's always been done this way, right? So what? <laughs> like, do it in a new way. <laughs> it's not easy. That's I think that's the biggest thing. It's just it's really difficult, especially if you are like a newer designer or researcher. It can be very hard, and it can be like a, a burning out situation. But sometimes, if if you do feel burnt out, burnt out, it, that might be the sign to find a new place to you know dedicate your talents. But it is. It's tricky. I love what you're
0: saying, though, because I I do think there's this tendency in tech to it's like, well, we want to have our cake and eat it, too. And how can we turn this into a win-win? And how do we do ethical design and make the user happy? And like our profits are not going to suffer and Mm -hmm. everything's just going to be in perfect harmony. That's not always the case. And to your point, I think like a little courage goes a long way. right? And the people who need to exert that courage are leaders, the people who can afford to. It's not fair to put Mm -hmm. that you know, on the sort of shoulders of people just starting out who have to prove themselves and have to kind of maybe fall in line a little bit
1: more than than some others do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I like that you brought that up because I feel like a lot of people, myself included, who have been working in this intersection of tech and design and ethics, we have spent so much time like bending over backwards trying to figure out how to reconcile business with ethics or like idealism with, pragmatism right and i it's not necessarily possible and then like you know we've seen all this like corporate social responsibility stuff and like ethics washing which a lot of it's performative and you know in the back they're actually doing stuff that's counterintuitive to what they're saying and yeah something just can't can't be justified and need to be regulated out and that's just the fact of
0: the matter (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. and in the long term i do think i mean culture catches up a little bit and Mm -hmm. we'll see if business and capitalism catch up too but sometimes, you know, the thought leadership of doing the right thing is a little bit ahead of, of the times, too. Mm-hmm.
2: We'd love to unpack the, uh, like, the pragmatism versus idealism thing a little bit more. Because I feel like whenever you're getting into a moral topic, like ethics and stuff, that can kind of come with a lot of idealism. But you were also kind of describing, like, there are things you can just do that are better. Maybe they don't change the whole paradigm, but move something forward in, in your work. And you, you know, as a team strove to be a little bit better than you otherwise were. And, and that's still is meaningful, right? Of like, you mentioned climate change earlier, like, of course, regulating like the people dumping chemicals in the rivers or polluting the skies and stuff is going to have a bigger impact than, you know, anything I can do as an individual, but it doesn't make like individual actions I take meaningless either, right? Like composting mm-hmm. stuff or doing other things, still good things to do. How do you try to like square that for teams? Like it's worth doing what you can on like a local level and like maintaining the optimism that maybe you have to, you know, it's, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but d- does that kind of make sense?
0: Yes, your composting yeah. matters, Jayh. <laughs> Thank you. Yes,
1: yes, it does. That's all I was looking (laughs) for. Yeah, it it does matter. And I think it's just that like, you know, if you see one person doing it, your neighbor's going to want to do it. And then maybe the whole whole apartment is going to start doing it. And I think, you know, that's how change happens, right? And this idea of like a spectrum of ideal versus pragmatic is something that I want to push back on a little bit because I think that dichotomy between those two can obscure the fact that some idealistic practices are just like it's just like human rights or they're just morally like right right like designing addictive technology just shouldn't be a thing and and uh, you know on the flip side more dangerously some this kind of spectrum can obscure the fact that some pragmatic practices in our industry are just unequivocally like wrong they're just you know we just shouldn't have them it's like child labor back in the, the factories and like you know that's just it was wrong and so it's something that like it, it comes with time and it comes with speaking up and it comes with I think this very like multi-pronged approach where people in industry like folks like you and I like who are designing are working hand in hand with policymakers and and working with folks in academia to kind of formulate the new normal to formulate what is like the new way of like What are the new standards? What is this new culture that we're shaping where it's like, you know, and it's happening right now, which is really cool. Like, I, you know, last year was able to speak at the Federal Trade Commission and they're starting to crack down on regulating uh, deceptive designs. And same at the European Union Parliament. There was a hearing this year that I spoke at where they're actually trying to draft law where, you know, they'll start punishing companies that. Have this kind of deceptive, manipulative designs. And I think that's something that, like, you know, is encouraging because you're seeing it actually unfold in real time. And of course, like, policymaking is not perfect. There's a lot of slow bureaucracy and everything, but um, the ball's moving now, at least. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. When you talk about deceptive design, you're talking about dark patterns, or what are we talking about?
1: Yeah, it's really commonly known as dark patterns, and it's a term that. I think the industry is kind of trying to, we're trying to phase out a bit because mm-hmm. dark patterns, it traditionally relies on that metaphor of like dark being bad and mm-hmm. light being mm-hmm. good, which is mm-hmm. kind of problematic and mm-hmm. racist. And so sure. and it's also very like a, a nebulous term, like what does dark even mean in like for mm-hmm. design, right? right? And so we're trying to phase it out. It's tricky because deceptive is not necessarily a perfect replacement either because there are some of those patterns that are not necessarily deceptive, but rather they're just like annoying or like sure. nagging or whatever. So I think the, the industry is still trying to find like a good term for it, but deceptive design is, is it, at least a mm-hmm. fragment of it that we're talking mm-hmm. about.
2: As an example to maybe make this tangible folks, like something that maybe doesn't feel deceptive, but also feels like not a good ethical design is like, you know, like excessive notifications or something like that. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of straight yep. down the middle of what it is but it's like maybe not to anyone's benefit to to like over notify or something. Is, would that be it exactly. or, or other examples? That's
1: a great example. Another example is those kind of like petty, passive aggressive, like copy that, that oh, you see. I know. Oh, like, no, no I want to pay full hard. price. I don't want to save done. money yeah. today. Like, I fucking like, like, to yeah. yeah. so the worst. so annoying, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so annoying. that's an example of that. Um, I always say like, I don't want uh,
0: that on the
1: sand. Yeah. I don't want it. I'm like, no. whose job is it to write that?
0: <laughs> and obviously it's effective because 10 that's, that's years I later saying, it, probably it still happens. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah sure it does. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So that's like another great example of that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so that, that is a good one. So if you're maybe just to play this out a little, like I'm a designer on an e-commerce site or something, and somebody's run an A-B test and they saw that we get way more conversion lift when we phrase it that way. Mm-hmm. But you think it's like not right or you think it's wrong or, you know, mm-hmm. just obnoxious. What do you do? Like, do you try to just work really hard to figure out a, an ethical version that outperforms it, or do you just have to take like a line in the sand, like we're not going to like profit that way, or like because I think for to your point earlier about like leaders versus ICs, Aaron, it's like not something that an individual designer is probably going to be in- empowered to make that kind of call, or you just have to wait for the regulation to come and to be like you can't, you know, write an obnoxious copy. Like that feels like a hard one to, you know, to regulate in some ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it's actually you're spot on. It's very tricky to regulate because a lot of these patterns are they shift they like change especially with different kinds of technology as well and i think you know also, also for like designers i actually don't know that it is necessarily always designers that are writing these things either it could also very much well be like marketers and whatnot. sounds like a marketer <laughs>
0: right <laughs> yeah. you know it
1: really could and i, I can see like you know it's something that i talk about a lot is just how like the chain of command or like the, the ways of working in these tech companies where it's like you know, likely a designer or a marketer or whomever is is, get, is reporting to their boss or their team and they have certain, you know, metrics or OKRs that they're trying to fulfill and, like, they're like grasping at anything. Like, how what can I do to make sure that, you know, this click-through rate or whatever for this one button goes up so I can show that I've made impact and get a promotion? And so it's like, that's kind of like how these practices are, are motivated and, like, incentivized. It's not not always, is it like a, a manager at a company saying you have to lie or like they put a deceptive thing here but it's just like you gotta you gotta boost up um, engagement otherwise your job could be on the line or whatever and then you know they are we look around and we see what practices can we use and it just so happens that these things are unfortunately super effective which is not great and so that's why yeah regulation has to happen and also like Education, right? We a lot of these, you know, practices that we use are taught in boot camps or schools or whatnot. Like the whole idea of like getting users hooked—that's been taught in design schooling for a while. And so, how can we kind of, you know, turn away from that kind of school of thought and then really think about how can we be respectful to our users and and not be annoying? (laughs) I think that's just another thing. Mm -hmm. Like, can we not be annoying to people? (laughs) And like think about like we're designing for people like ourselves and for others and whatnot like
2: on the hooked thing like because i I feel like you hear examples too that are more positive and maybe they're a little like paternalistic or something i don't i don't know how to describe it bestly. but like a classic example that comes up is with like toothpaste you know people weren't brushing their teeth a lot and then colgate or whoever put mint in it and then it had this refreshing feel and it made it more of a habit thing and a lot of people adopted it and in some ways that seems like probably a good thing like probably good to Mm -hmm. for you know Tooth health, or you know, hygiene, or whatever. I don't. I'm not a dentist. I don't know for sure. But like that does. That seems like it comes from a place of better intent than like let's get them coming to our app all the time. And like that even feels very fuzzy. So like where you know who gets to determine like this is okay, like behavior change, and this is like something that's that's pushing it in a bad direction. Like that feels very fuzzy.
1: I think consent is something that is a really Mm. key thing here. So like with you know the toothpaste example. Or any of the examples where it's like banks that you know, or not banks, but it was like government programs that try to like bump up pension rates. You know, nudging people to do get to get their pension started and sorted out. Like it's one of those things where these people that are the intended users, they're not like being lied to or anything. Like they they know what they're getting themselves into. They know that they're buying toothpaste. Whereas like with more of the deceptive stuff, it's like you're trying to deceive people or nudge people into paying more money, and that's not always something that we might necessarily consent to if we have like the full knowledge of what's happening. Right. And some things it's like, are we acting in the user's best interest? Are we acting in our, in the company's interest? Like you have to kind of, you know, figure that out. And it's oftentimes it can be gray, but sometimes things just feel right versus feel yeah. wrong. And like, yeah, listen to that people feeling. To, yeah, yeah, that gut feeling. And I think it's something like, there's probably a philosophical term out there for it that sums up you know, that <laughs> intuition that we have, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. something just don't feel right.
2: Yeah. I can imagine too within companies that this is just going to vary situation by situation. I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of an experience early in my career, was working in an e-commerce site and role and a marketer, a junior marketer sent out an email with like a very provocative subject line, you know, like a clickbait through the max of like.
1: Check out what you did last night, or who
2: knows, something like that, right? And it got a ton of great click through and all this sort of stuff. But the CMO like got wind of it and came in and was like, "We're not like shut this down. Like this is not going to happen. Like this is a bad email. It's, we're going to get spam, et etc. Right? There's gonna be there's gonna be long term effects of this that are not good for the business, and we're gonna say no. But at the time, we were also running all these like free campaigns where the thing was free, but then you had a bunch of cross sells and you're gonna pay a lot for shipping, so the company makes money. And it's like, you know, is that is that a good thing or not? I don't know. But like, you know, but so even within that, it was very multifaceted in that role where there's certain things like. I think the right decisions made. Other things you could argue are a little bit more deceptive, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is just complicated. Like I'd, I'd imagine that happens mm-hmm. in any business. There's so many decisions being made, and there's so many different factors of how you keep users engaged that some are going to probably feel clearly over the line, and some are a little bit more, you know, uh, in the in the middle.
1: And that's why it's hard. It's important for like you know companies. It's important for designers or researchers within companies to kind of really identify the way that they're working, and also also to consult like the existing research that's out there of what's okay and what's not okay there's been a lot of like scholarship around doing ethical research that's not just necessarily in like the design sphere but also coming from like other industries that have been doing research as well like medicine right you know anything working with children and educate like that kind of stuff so there's practices that we can borrow from when we think about what's okay and what's not okay
0: before we talked a little bit about you know, respecting the audience you're trying to serve, right? So even in the almost five years I've worked at user interviews, you see these conversations start to shift in their maturity uh, in terms of where we are with ethical research, with accessibility, inclusion, uh, with does a company need user research, with all sorts of things. Um, And so it feels like we're at a stage where people, inclusive representation is something people, I think they're pretty aware of it, that's something they should do, it's an imperative But you were talking about, like, let's not do that in a way that is sort of like condescending or presupposes we know the best way to help a population without actually objectively researching that. So love to just dig a little bit more into inclusive representation and Mm. and how to do it ethically. Like once we've we've established Mm. we should do it, how do we do it ethically across, you know, internal teams, working with participants and research uh, throughout Mm. our design process and so on.
1: Yeah, this is a great point. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up again because I think, you know, inclusive representation, there's two parts to it. There's two sides to it, I mean. Mm-hmm. So one side is the side that we, we commonly know about, like, how are you making sure that you're engaging with communities that span various, like, racial, socioeconomic, gender differences, thinking about, you know, disability and sexual orientation, et cetera. That's a huge part. And then I think another side to it, the other part of it, is also making sure that we're not being inclusive just so we can be inclusive, but while we're still designing a product that's like very problematic. And right. uh, what I mean by that is like, I think Ruha Benjamin does amazing work talking about how like, for example, surveillance tools and predictive policing mm-hmm. tools. Sure. You can be inclusive and, and include like black folks in your research, but at the end of the day, the tool that you're designing is meant to, to prey on these communities Mm -hmm. so it's like overall if you zoom out like you're realizing oh wow like sure i'm being inclusive but my my end goal of putting this product out there is like there's a lot of harm that's embedded in that product So it feels like the the
0: first filter there maybe for a designer is like, choose who you work for wisely, right? There's Mm -hmm. only so much you can do if the product itself is (laughs) right. I mean, if you have an ad supported social media platform, like, you know, maybe you're going to have problems with addiction unless, you know, how that sort of work changes, but exactly like a little bit right right?
1: yeah 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 Yeah. like you know you can work for like a a diet like tummy tea one of those things and be inclusive with how you (laughs) market it but like at the end of the day it's still championing a really problematic Mm. product Mm -hmm. and so just reflecting on like what what your product is doing and how it exists in the system in which we live who does it help, right? Who does it hurt? And then, be, like doing that first check, and then moving into the actual, like thinking about inclusivity when you're when you're doing your research, mm-hmm. thinking about how you can be empowering in in your research practices uh, as opposed to exploitative, right? And thinking about that that difference.
2: Does it ever just like translate or evolve into maybe it started as a like performative check the box thing, like let's get a more you know diverse group of participants for this research even though, you know, they don't maybe have the intent or, or, or well-meaning behind it. But just by the exposure, does it ever, like, trend in a more positive direction of, like, well, I heard a little something from that person that actually did stick with me. Maybe I still made, in the short term, a decision I would have made anyways. But, like, opened the door a crack? Or is it, it needs to be, like, coming from a more heartfelt place from the start or better intention? Does that, does that make any sense?
1: Uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, is it, like, that people can kind of almost accidentally stumble upon...
2: Yeah, does it, does it help, like, change your worldview a little bit in ways, even if you didn't go into it with that intent, right? So, like, I'm just imagining, like, I'm going to do some, like, on-location research because we're going to open a store in some, you know, different neighborhood that I'm not f- usually mm-hmm. in. And you're going there as maybe a performative thing to check the box or whatever. But, by like, over time, by spending some time in that neighborhood, you probably are going to pick up some things and internalize some things that are hopefully, like, nudging you in a better direction and, and better well-meaning. Or does or that, like, does that not happen? I guess I I actually don't know.
1: I think it could happen. I think, uh, of course, there's also probably chances, depending on who it is, um, they could come out of that not realizing it either. But I I would hope that would happen. I would hope that, you know, as a researcher or designer, you kind of have this openness and this awareness, -awareness, self-awareness, to kind of be able to observe and understand and be open to things that are, like, different ways of being, of existing. And that's something that, like, is a tool that or is a skill that we we hone over the course of our lifetimes it's not something we're necessarily born with
0: how long have you
1: been thinking about
0: ethical design and research
1: yeah i, I mean i think for me it's it's been for the bulk of my career i think mm-hmm. when i came into the tech industry i came in with this like you know very dear like very the rose tinted glasses right thinking mm-hmm, that mm-hmm we were going to change the world for the better. And like, there's that episode in Silicon Valley where it's like, they're all at this like tech conference or the tech crunch thing or whatever. And everyone's like, we're going to revolutionize the world with this yada, yada, yada app. Right. And I think I Music came in compression, with that. So- right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then it was just like headline after headline of how certain companies that perhaps like, you know, we would looked up to in the past, were just doing horrible things. And this is, I think that was an eye-opening moment for me even though historically you've seen that a lot right with other industries as well not just tech but um it was really disappointing and i think it was also very annoying to or frustrating because we would hear countless executives saying i'm sorry like we need ethics but then it, what, what did that even mean what does that mean to, to have ethics and it of course was you know talking the talk but how could we as designers like actively intervene in our ways of working or at least like change the ways that we work to better reflect on this stuff. And I think it's really easy, you know, in, when you're in a product team to get super excited about what you're designing and everyone's like, you know, really positive and, and just like enthusiastic. And then it's really easy to kind of like forget to consider what could go wrong. And I've noticed when I give my workshops though because I've already primed people to think about this stuff when they're actually like diving into the activities, like they they typically think about a lot of the what could go wrong aspects, like way more than they would think about what benefits does this product bring. Mm. Right. But when you're like in a team, you know, that you're having fun with people, like designing a fun thing, it's, it's hard to kind of like flip that switch in your head because no one's priming you there. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. kind of have to like, prime yourself and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different tools out there Um, there's a lot of scholarship out there to kind of get you to think about that which goes back to the reading part of like Mm -hmm. you know getting aware about what's going on and it's it's good to keep yourself informed in that way
2: yeah I feel like what's really funny is, like, all those tropes of, like, we're changing the world over. A lot of times, it just is left, like, unsaid. They don't even say, like, for the better. It's like, we're just changing the world. Yeah. It's like, in what we're direction? We're changing like, the world.
0: Like, yeah. <laughs> Can't argue <laughs> with that. Yeah. 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 Like, true,
2: but it would be nice yeah. to know. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, so I guess you said you kind of started with, like, rosy, rose-tinted glasses or what? Like, what ten are they now? Or, like, what are you feeling optimistic about, pessimistic about? You know, how are... What's... Mm-hmm the future look like
1: yeah one of those things where I I think in some ways there's a lot to be pessimistic about but ultimately I I do have hope I think I think otherwise like how there's no way you can stay in this industry or any industry if you don't have some hope that you can like there can be some change but I do think it needs to come from regulation I think that Mm -hmm. Like companies today in this system, they operate based on incentives and they're always doing these cost benefit analyses of what can we get away with, what fines Mm -hmm. can we pay with, Mm -hmm. pay out and like be okay. And I think at the end of the day, we do need to have like some more stringent rulings around how companies are able to behave and how Mm -hmm. design practitioners, you know, technologists, et cetera, can, can act and this is something that it's not going to be easy but i think there are lots of different perspectives we can bring into the room when it comes to crafting that kind of legislation and it's starting to happen and i think it's going to just it's going to start happening more and more
0: mm-hmm. i'm with you i'm you know a pol- my politics but, support but, support yeah regu- yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm with you like regulation like corporate greed people will not do the right thing because it's the right thing and corporations are people according to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But so a question, what about the user experience of regulation, right? So you think about mm-hmm. these laws come yep. down, they are long, they are yep. hard to understand, they're hard to execute on. And you know, they're very easy for large corporations to hire a bunch of lawyers to mm-hmm. read and follow the letter of the law. And maybe, and that's a, not a bad outcome, right? Effective that is good for these companies causing the most harm, they no longer, at least hopefully, if the regulations are good, are able to do that. But it can be very hard for smaller companies who, you know, maybe are trying to do the right thing to spend all their time working with regulations. What do you think about that that trade-off?
1: That is, it's such a good point that you brought that up. It's something that like, It's incredibly frustrating when you realize that the mechanisms in the system can be very slow moving and inefficient. And, you know, I was on a panel with a federal trade commissioner who was talking about like what we could do from a regulatory standpoint to like crack down on deceptive designs. And they were talking about loopholes, like how can we go, you know, find a loophole to like ensure that this gets passed through. And like, you know, it's kind of wild when you think about how like we can't just make a law that says this, like we have to like go through all these Twists and turns, and I think that kind of goes to the the conversation point about like reform versus like revolution. And like, mm. well, when I when you hear the word revolution, that can kind of can definitely be a very provocative word in some ways. But I think sometimes like we we do need to kind of think about these things, like just like with the climate crisis, like we can't go on the way that we're going on. Something has to give, and something has to change. It's either going to be like the environment or us. And with with tech, like it's either going to be uh, the tech companies, or like our mental health and like our safety and our privacy, etc. And so, I think that's why w- regulation, when paired with like the community organizing that's been happening in tech, the amount of unions that have been popping up within our industry in the last like decade or so, or even five years, I dare to say, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's incredible. It's it's. I think that's something that is going to play a huge role, and like you know, the, the kind of momentum behind, like, university students, like, boycotting Palantir, for example, that's mm-hmm. something that's really important. Like, having, having that kind of discourse around, like, where do we draw the line as designers or engineers or whatnot? Like, what is our stance? And, like, how can we refuse? And I think that when you bring in that kind of holistic approach mm-hmm. from regulation, from you know, us as individual actors, but also community movements, that can be very powerful. So that's why I'm optimistic. It's hard to be optimistic, but I, I'm lightly optimistic that stuff is happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Eric, yeah. If history is long
1: and all that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the regulation thing, I think is really tough, right? Because your point, it's it's hard to craft good regulation that actually like is surgical enough to address the issue and, and get it passed, let alone but then it also, in a lot of cases, has this unintended effect of benefiting the large incumbents because they have the lawyers and the resources to deal with the regulation and it actually can stifle some of the the you know mm-hmm. the newer entrants that are maybe more well meaning or, or progressive in some of these things, so it's really tough the the other way you I think you see it solved in some cases or not solved, but positive movement is like through public funding of, of better alternatives and stuff right so like to go to the climate crisis one, a lot of that initial like research money and everything else into solar and stuff like that helps kickstart that industry. And at some point, you know, fingers crossed, it's just going to be the cheaper power option. And so companies that use a ton of power are not going to choose it because it's like the moral thing that are just going to be like, well, this is the cheapest way to get electricity and we use a ton of electricity. And so you kind of tip it over that way. Like, are there things that in the public sphere that could go that way of like, you know, whether it's education or things like that, uh, that can maybe also like help here?
1: I think one of the things that comes to mind is just the, the culture of open source technology. I think that is something that I have a lot of hope in. And I've worked in open source in the past in my last company, like the idea that we can build a product that's for people by people. And one of my favorite apps that I use for messaging, Signal, is an open source product. And I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. there's a lot of potential there. And if you know we can kind of shift it back into the commons, right? That's something that's very promising. And you know, having something like like an open source technology that of course has to be vetted for like security and whatnot. But having that, you know, power, a lot of these functions that are increasingly being outsourced to private tech companies when they really shouldn't be, could be a potential turning point, especially when we were thinking about how like a lot of healthcare things are now being shuttled off to private tech companies. Mm -hmm. And that was a crisis. That was a huge ordeal during the pandemic which is still ongoing but like you know we saw like in the uk there was lots of problems with like privacy issues and whatnot when they used all those privatized contact tracing companies so i think going back to open source is is something that we might we have to do and we have to invest in and i think that's also it's cool because it encourages a culture of like building together you know when i was working on that open source product like It was honestly a shocking, it was amazing to see like just people from all different time zones all over the world, like willingly contributing their time to this. And of course, we'd have to figure out ways to like, you know, compensate people, but like, you know, together building something for like a greater good was really cool. So, I feel yeah. like this
0: is our to dive into the blockchain. I know it. I can feel <laughs> it. Like, I know it just makes me think we haven't even we haven't even done an episode on blockchain yeah, anything. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I, maybe a real tangible example, because I feel like you might know more, more about this than I do. But like the regulation around the like cookie consent stuff and you have all those pop-ups now of like yeah. yes. Like, like yeah. have those helped anyone or is that like a well-meaning thing that just has like not done anything? Or it, what's like exactly. kind of your take on that?
1: So it's it's interesting because it's been talked about in Europe. So where I live right now, everywhere you go, every website you go to has a cookie banner. And that has in some ways inadvertently or accidentally led to other deceptive patterns where like, or you know, manipulative patterns where companies who have to have this, this banner, right, oh. they'll make it so that you have to like individually like ch- uncheck every single like box if you want to opt out of that. And, and of course other people stuff don't in have there. the time, exactly, yeah. and so they have lists of that, <laughs> and people would typically just accept the default, which is like, they'll accept the cookies. So there's been problems with that, and I think it's one of those things where like, it goes back to like the difficulties of crafting that kind of legislation that encompasses all those different potential loopholes, and there's a lot of, people are creative. There's a lot of loopholes, and I think it's one of those things where it's being addressed right now. People like there's there's like organizations addressing how they can redesign the cookie like design the cookie banner and like redesign that policy. And it's something that like when we are considering regulating other technological phenomena that are annoying, we have to be just mindful of this this past incident.
2: Right. There's a lot of unintended consequences that come out of these.
1: Yeah. Definitely
0: recommend the Chrome extension to block <laughs> all the cookie blockers. <laughs> it's the best extension, I... and because I don't have it for mobile, which I, I should see if I could find it. But it is. Yeah, made my life I know there's so a s- one for Safari yeah. too that probably good for. Yeah. I think
2: it's called like Stop the Madness or something. Yeah, like yeah. Really cool. Or auto accepts okay. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, not a great solution. Probably in other ways, but
0: yeah, works for me. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, leave us on a well. You don't have to leave us on a good note. You can choose the tone as you <laughs> as you like. But uh, what I guess what what's the one thing or a one thing, you know, you'd like people to take away when they're thinking about ethical design?
1: I think kind of going back to that, what I was saying about the optimistic part, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be hard to be optimistic, but like, find your allies, find your accomplices, find people that, you know, want to support you and, 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 can validate and stand by what you we feel if something's going wrong, like they can be there in solidarity. I think that's incredibly important, and we've seen this in like where in companies that have been problematic like the the kind of organizing that employees can do is very powerful, so I think that is is good, and like also just like as a designer or researcher looking out for your mental health is super important you know we're still in a pandemic like it's as we were saying in the beginning like this is still happening and this work is hard it's hard work and so looking out for yourself and like taking care of your yourself and your your soul and in that kind of like nourishing yourself in that way and is really important and sometimes like if things are rough or difficult and you find yourself in a difficult like pickle at a company or something knowing that there's other alternatives out there that there are other options and and finding that community to, to back you up is is good mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. awesome yeah and I'm looking it looks like you have some resources on your website for finding communities that way as, as well
2: there's so many small steps we can take forward I think that was something you said earlier that really stuck with me of just progress is good so doing little things along the way do add up to bigger changes down the road so there's, there's things that people yeah. can, you know, pull in and, and are worth doing.
1: Exactly. And I think people, like, at the end of the day, no one necessarily wants to be, like, a, the bad person. Like, I think everyone's <laughs> – <laughs> no one wants to be a villain. Hopefully not. <laughs> and I think it's just a matter of, like, figuring out how to get the ball rolling when it comes to change. And sometimes it means, like, changing the, com- the configuration of incentives that's, you know, currently yeah. in place. And, yeah looking at all of that nitty gritty detailed stuff <laughs> which is a lot but very worth it
0: cool. thank you so much for joining us today you've been a great guest and given us all a lot
1: of great stuff to think about thank you so much thank you for having me yeah
2: likewise excited to check all out right. all these resources too.
1: So yeah take care everyone